Hello everyone and welcome to episode 13 of the Nordic Football Podcast. This is a special edition to you coming from Sweden where we have our man Jonathan Fudugba. I've heard you've been having a great weekend out there, John. Hi everyone and hi Steve. Yeah, I'm, uh, as we speak I'm currently in a laundry room of a, of a hotel in uh, central Gothenburg. I have an Eriksberg beer with me, which is a local beer, 5.3%. So... Uh, Although it's quite late at the moment, but yeah, I'm enjoying life and uh, it's, it's, it's really great to be back in Sweden. I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah, 5.3%, quite a strong lap for a beer, um, I have to say. Um, I'm a big fan of the Copperberg ciders that they make up there in Sweden, John. I don't know if you've managed to bag one of those uh, this weekend or not, but that is certainly my choice of Swedish tipple that I know of anyway. Um, but uh Yes, you've been, uh, I mean, it's been an action-packed weekend for you, hasn't it? You've been watching youth football, uh, you've seen uh, an Svenskan match, Hacken against AIK, you've had an interview with the Hacken Sporting Director, which is coming up very soon on this podcast, and uh, I mean, it sounds like you've been up to all sorts. What have been your major highlights? Yeah, it's been a really entertaining and sort of football-filled weekend, really. Uh, I arrived on the Friday and... Um, of it since then and kind of out and about watching games and talking to people and yeah I had a few nights out as well on the town in Gothenburg which I highly recommend to anybody uh, it's a fantastic city so that's my bit for the tourism board um, but yeah seeing a youth game uh, EF Core Hacken uh, under 19s which was on Saturday um, it's a big sort of playoff game in there in that that league wasn't a particularly uh, high paced game really compared to sort of English academies maybe but Still quite interesting, one or two interesting players. And, um, then hacking Oiko you know, on the, the following day, which was one of the most stunning games I've seen in some time. But, but we're going to talk about that in detail, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, the, the bulk of this podcast is going to be the interview with the Hacking Sporting Director. So we look forward to that one uh, coming up soon. And then we've got the match analysis from the uh, from the weekend, uh, hacking against uh, AIK. But uh, yeah, I mean, just going back to Gothenburg itself, um, I mean, of course, you lived out there for a long period of time. I remember you always kept saying to me, you've got to come out here, mate. You've got to come out here and experience it because it's, you know, it's a really great city and uh, many, many a good site in, in so many different ways. So, uh, you know, maybe you might get me out there one day, John, that's for sure. Um, but uh, as I say, moving on to um, the Auschwitzkan recent round and... Uh, I mean, we, we, every week we've been talking about the relegation battle in detail and it's got a bit more uh, more interesting because Halmstad have won, AFC Eskilstuna have won, Sundsvall drew with Jönköping. So, I mean, all of those two, those teams have a bit more momentum right now and we've got a really massive match coming up at the weekend, uh, Jönköping against AFC Eskilstuna. And it's setting up for a really big clash, that, isn't it? It is indeed and... Um... Actually, I want to give a shout out to Halmstad as well, who've given themselves a bit of a lifeline. Uh, beating North Shopping is a massive result for them. You know, everybody thought they were down, and we've both said they were down, kind of thing. I thought they were down. Um, but to, to beat North Shopping or a big team is a, is a big result. AFC, I managed to catch the second half of the game against EF Core. And uh, at the end of that game, there was EF Core fans in the stands, kind of with their hands in their heads, and they looked really thoroughly depressed, to be honest. And you can see why, really, with the season they're having now. I mean, 11th in the table, that takes them down to 11th. Uh, you know, they're not too far clear of the relegation, in fact. They're only seven points above the shopping in the relegation zone. Um, now set to finish behind Hacken for the first time since 2012, which is a massive you know, achievement for Hacken, which we'll talk about soon. But EF Core, yeah, really crushing result for them. But on the flip side, AFC, massive win. Michael Jolly will be delighted. Uh, it was a fantastic goal from Chidi Omij, uh, across from Biotore and Omej with a, a sort of chest and volley um, with his left foot in the box to get the three points. So they are now six points behind the Oldshipping, aren't they, Steve? Yeah, six points adrift. They're still obviously playing against each other at the weekend. I mean, say AFC won that, the gap would be going down to three with four games to go and it would be everything to play for. Um, it's going to be really interesting following this relegation battle. Um, uh, just one result I want to talk about towards the top of the table, and it happened in the Stockholm derby between Jorgarten and Hammerby. And uh, there's this curse of the derbies, isn't there, for, for Jorgarten? You would think heading into this particular clash, it was one of their best chances to win a derby, John, but they, again, they couldn't collect the three points, could they? And uh, it's becoming a real mental block for them in this, these fixtures now, isn't it? 
Yeah, exactly. It's a mental block, like you say. Um, massive derby. I mean, I'm, I wasn't. I didn't see the game. I was actually at Hecken at that time, so I've completely missed that whole match. Um, I can't really comment on it, but disappointed for your gun, really. I mean, they managed to come from behind in the end and get a point, which they'll at least take. But to not overcome this derby curse is it's going to really annoy their fans for you know another while, another while yet. Um, and yeah, it doesn't do much for their title prospects either, really. I mean, the slim chances of catching Malmo now uh, look like dust. Disappointing result for them. Hammerby will take it because they're seventh in the table, um, mid-table. So, yeah, disappointing result for Jorgen, probably more than more than Hammerby. I mean, probably the, the silver lining for Jorgen is that uh, the teams in fourth, fifth and sixth place all lost at the weekend, including Hacken, and they are the club at the forefront of our attention in this particular podcast. You uh, secured an interview with their sporting director uh, over the weekend, and we're going to listen to that interview very soon. But uh, tell us a bit more about Hacken as a club, just briefly, uh, and then introduce our special guest for the episode. Yeah, so this is a Bickle Hacken podcast, really. Um, so any Hissingen residents, time to get your, you know, get your, listen, uh, your earphones in. And hopefully you're going to enjoy the show coming. Uh, yeah, this is deep analysis really of Hecken, um, who are a club on the rise really. And as we mentioned before, you know they, they're going to probably set to finish above EF Core now, and, and that will make them the number one team in Gothenburg this season. Um, obviously with Ois, Ukrita, uh, and Geis, uh, the two other big sort of Gothenburg teams who are both in the second division. Um, so that makes Hecken, which is one of the newest teams around the block, uh, they're not really the traditional. They're more of the kind of cocky upstarts really. Um, the Hissingham base, which is an island in in Gothenburg, uh, where they're kind of you know based really, um, and yeah, they're they're the sort of outsiders, and they're they're now about to well, they're in the top four. Obviously, this weekend they lost six one to AIK, which is a huge disappointment for them. But um, in the grand scheme of things, finishing fourth is a, is a good season for Hecken, really. Uh, the highest ever place in the table is second, and yeah, it's a really good achievement to finish above EF Core in any season, really. I mean, one of the interesting things about being being out here was seeing the facilities for themselves. It was, you know, really fascinating. And um, indeed, that's one of the things we talk about in the interview as well with Sonny Carson, the Hecken Sporting Director. OK, well, let's get straight to it. Here is the in-depth interview with the Hacken Sporting Director, Sonny Carlson. So, yeah, um, this is an interview with Sonny Carlson, uh, the Bickle Hacken uh, Sporting Director. Yes. Right in saying. Um, on the 25th of September uh, 2017 uh, for the Nordic Football Podcast. Uh, Sonny, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, all the way from, from England. I really appreciate your time. Always, uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, really nice day as well, so we're happy to be here. Um, I wanted to start by, obviously, the first place to start really is yesterday's match. Um, not the best of matches, but uh, what did you make of it uh, in, in, from your perspective? I don't remember the game. <laughs> okay. Good answer. <laughs> no, it's, no, no, it was. Um, yeah, it's a terrible game really, from our point of view, but it's a fantastic game from their point of view. So I give them my grat- congratulations and just say uh, well done to Oiko. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best place to put it as after a 6 1 defeat. I mean, um, it's a, it's a diff- disappointing match, but obviously going into the game, the two teams, it was third against fourth. I mean, what are your thoughts on Hacken's season so far in general? It's, it's been, you know, pretty. Are you happy with the season so far? Yeah, we, we struggled in the beginning of the season because we had a, a couple of big injuries. And then we were quite lucky in the summer window to get uh, a couple of players that have changed the changed, uh, structure in the team. And also, uh, one of them started to score a lot of goals. And then and we started to win a couple of games. And then after a couple of wins, we were high up in the league. Uh, we've been quite good in the defense all year until these last two games. I don't know if that's maybe that has something to do with with that we were we've been good defense. Yeah. We started to score goals. Maybe we got too big. Maybe we wanted to score more goals and forgot about what we were good at in the beginning. So that's why we have. Uh, Two scored and ten, ten in in the back. The last two games, yeah. <laughs> not the best. <laughs> Which feel different, very strange now when we still number four in the league. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I guess that shows how how well the team has done. I mean, um, 
yeah, to be to be this position in the table is, is quite impressive. I mean, the club was founded in in 1940 and um, didn't reach the Allsvenskan until 1983, I believe. Yeah. Um, how do you and the club in general consider the the evolution of Beko Hakan in in the last sort of few years? You know, such yeah. a, a big rise. It was a big change like ten years ago uh, in the club because uh, the structure changed. So the old. I said the old structure in the club was that there was a chairman running everything, yeah. and and then uh, he retired, and, and there was a new structure in the club. Mm. Then was also a big discussion about what we wanted with the club. What do, did we want to do with the club? Sure. There was a couple of people involved in that, and and um, <laughs> what happened was really that it was uh, we put. All the football positions today are are full time working people sure. instead of instead of there was a chairman coming in the, in on the night after his work <laughs> running the club. Yeah. So it's a big change yeah. in in the club about how the club is run. Um, so I think that's that's why we have now played next year. We're going to be our tenth season in a row in the highest division. Yeah. So it's a it's, it's a structure of, of how we change the club really to. To become, uh, what do we say in Swedish? Uh, I don't know the word in English. Yeah, everybody's paid for their work. Yeah, more professional. Not, yeah, more, more professional. professional. It's not. It's not like you do it for fun. Yeah. Uh, after your normal job. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. I mean, um, yeah, as we said, the club has achieved great things in the recent years, and the cup win was obviously yeah. a highlight. Yeah. Um, what are the general ambitions at the moment for the for the team, and you know? Uh, are you going above expectations this season so far, would you say? Or is that the new expectation? Or, you know, how would you assess the general ambitions of Hacken at this moment in time? The, the ambition is to win the league, really. Because it's, it's still possible to win the league. The money difference in the league is not that big so far that it's not possible to do that. So the ambition is to win the league. Uh, when we do it, I don't know. But it's, it's every year the ambition is there again to win the league or the cup. Yeah. We were second in the league in 2012. This year we've been close so far to maybe be up there and fight for it. But it's almost, uh, yeah, I don't think we, we don't have the chance to, to pick them up yeah. at the moment. But uh, pick them up, you say that. Catch them. Uh, catch them. Yeah. Um, so now we have... The ambition yeah. is, is to win the league because it's possible. Exactly. I mean, the cup win was fantastic. Um, what are your memories of, of that in particular? And did that give you a springboard? You know. Yeah, it's a springboard, and it's also it's like a relief for the club yeah. because now we, we we've been up there for totally maybe twenty years in the highest division, and we have not been winning anything. Yeah. So when you have won something, then you, you it's like a relief yeah. for for the club that you don't have the pressure on you that you that you have to win something anymore. It's more of that the next one going to be number two. Exactly. Yeah, no, it, ma it makes sense. I mean, Hacken's best ever position is second in the league, as you said, I think 2012, as you, as you mentioned. I mean, and the best achievement was the cup win. Um, you mentioned the landscape of the Osvenskan and, and the aim being to win the league. How, how difficult is it to compete with someone like Malmo, who year in, year out can kind of bring in the best players? I mean, an example is Kingsley Sarfo from Sirius. You know, they, they kind of pick the best players from... The, yeah. the clubs. How hard is it to challenge Malmo? Yeah, but it's the same in all over the world. You know, Alsenskan is no big difference from the rest of the world. Um, the club with the money is normally winning the league more than every, every, everybody else. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's like they they took a player now. One of our old players, Carlos Stromberg, that's yeah. been that we sold to CSKA Moscow. Four or five years ago. Now he was on the return here, and we were there, and we were interested. Yeah. But we couldn't even be interested because the money was too big, totally. Mm. So it's, of course, they have an advantage of uh, their level of the club. Mm. Uh, they will go on having that for many, many years. Yeah. But as I said from the beginning, it's, 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 it's still we can still take a cheaper player. Or develop our own player. Yeah. In the game last night, I think we had at least three 
maybe even four plays in the end. That's from our academy. Yeah. Then we, in the last three, four years, we also have sold five, six plays to to, to European clubs yeah. from the academy. So that's still the number one thing to do, really, to, to bring on your bring up your own yeah. academy players. It's a great way to obviously generate funds and help improve, I yeah, suppose, yeah. as a club. I mean, um, we'll come on to that in a minute. I'd like to talk about that yeah. in a bit more detail. But mm. you're, I mean. Before we move on to that, the, you know, is the main aim to be sort of Gothenburg's number one club? I mean, you're above obviously Oysen guys who are in the second division, and um, EF Core at the moment tenth in the league. Um, Bickel Hacken haven't finished above EF Core since I think 2012. Mm. But uh, would you say that, that that is the sort of aim of the club to be Gothenburg's number one? The, um, the aim is to be above them every year, really, because if you can do that year after year. Then we will get more and more supporters and more and more sponsors that yeah. to help us to become even better. Yeah. So that's the aim, really, in Gothenburg. Yeah, but it's the aim in Sweden is still to win the league. Yeah. So, but if we can be in front of my Gothenburg's big team, I've got the Gothenburg every year. Yeah. That will help us along the way to to create bigger opportunities for the club, of, of course. course. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean. Um, Moving on to yourself, you, you became the sports director, I believe, in, in 2009. I think that's correct. Yeah, I think so. I was a coach before that, so I think it was 2009, yes. So tell, yeah. tell us about your journey to, to this position. Like you said, I mean, you played you played for Hecken as well. I yeah, I came 1980 mm-hmm. as a player, so I played 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also educated myself to become a PE teacher along the way because wow. it wasn't we were we were not full-time professionals okay and then i also since i became a pe teacher also took the all the coach education uh, that we have in sweden and when i was finished with my career as a football player and i worked as a coach mm. for hacking yeah. a couple of times for the academy Quite many years, and then uh, again, when we won the, uh, with the academy, when we won the Swedish championships, and the, the first team went out of Allsvenskan yeah. in 2006 or something yeah. like that, or seven, maybe seven. They asked me again to take the team yeah. and bring up the old academy players and see if we could, could do something different with the team. Uh, and when we went up in Allsvenskan, I got I got uh, the offer to become either the coach or the sport director. Yeah. I thought I could maybe be, I can maybe do a better job as a sport director yeah. to change the club's way and yeah. directions. And after that, we've been playing Allsvenskan ever since. Yeah, yeah I mean, so it, it sounds. So it's a, yeah. A lot of success. Sounds yeah, like you've had yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of success. Knock on. <laughs> Touch wood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What are the biggest uh, challenges, would you say, uh, since you've become the sporting director? You know, what's the big projects, the hardest things you've been doing? The biggest challenge is to become uh, the people's club. It's not so hard to do the step that we have made when we we, we have we have what do you say? We have reasonably good money in the club. And, and we can take the steps we have done, but to become the people's club, that more and more people come and watch us, and bigger and bigger sponsors thinks it's interesting with us, that's the hard, hard way, because Gothenburg is occupied already with these three teams that is old, traditional clubs. It's like Manchester City and Manchester United. If you start a new club there, who who would really go and see their games. Yeah. And that's Beko Hecken in, in Gothenburg. And along the way we have, I think we've gone from 3% of Hissingen, which is 100,000 people here, part of Gothenburg. And I think we today have 15 or 7, between 15 and 17% of Hissingen. So it's a big, big difference in, in, in oh, say 20 years of elite football. Exactly. Um, but so far, it's only maybe twenty thousand people in uh, in a total 
area of 1.2, 1.3 million people yeah. that vote for us. So we need, we need a bigger crowd. Yeah. We really need a bigger crowd. How, how do you go about, about generating that? I mean, it must, is, is it the success that brings that? or Yeah, the success, Other things. of course. You know, yeah. I, I, we can see in the schools in, in Hissingen that kids today can have a Hecken t-shirt, a Hecken shirt yeah. on yeah. them. But if you go back 10 years, they didn't have that. No. So the success we had with, with the football for these last 10 years have made that possible. But you don't see a Hecken shirt in Gothenburg. Yeah. But you see it in Hissingen now, which is a part of Gothenburg, like an island of yeah. Gothenburg. Um, so it's, if we can go on with that long term, yeah. 10 more years, maybe it's 30% of Hissingen. And in the end, you don't have anything else than uh, hacking, yeah. because we still have we, we still have an island to work on. Yeah. So I don't. I'm, we are not sure that that's the right way to do it because we, we're going to uh, what to say separate ourselves from the rest of Gothenburg, and they will know oh, you from missing <laughs> it. Yeah, maybe maybe that's our way then. So, so maybe that's possible. We will see. First step hissing and then next step the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you know, in, Goth in, in Sweden, it's hundred. If you if you if you look at the, some of the clubs that have won the league, like Kalmar won the league. That's, that's less than hundred thousand people. Elfsborg won the league yeah. two times in the last ten years, I think, or twelve years. They are less than hundred thousand people. Halmstad won the league two times in twenty years. There are also less than 100,000 people. So it's, it's possible with, with the supporters of, of uh, a small city to win the league in, in Sweden at the moment. And you can do it differently than, than maybe the big clubs are doing in the big cities. But it's, uh, Malmö's really taking a, a big step to, to be up there all the time. Yeah, I think um, maybe perhaps the Champions League money. Uh, yeah, yeah the Champions League money made a difference, and also the, the new the new arena I got a couple of years ago. And all. everybody is they don't even have a competition around Malmo. It's Malmo, yeah. and then it's nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I want to move on to your kind of uh, the sporting director model because in England it, we talk about it a lot. It's a very um, topical kind of thing. We don't really have the sporting director model in England, or it's it's coming more now, but. Before it hasn't really been that that well established. Managers, yeah, exactly. The man traditionally in England, the manager is in control of everything. You know, the Ferguson yeah, type yeah. runs the club. So, but more and more in England now, the sporting director model is starting to okay, become introduced. Right. Um, various clubs. Mm. Um, you know, for those who might not know or may not understand the, the role uh, in England, what, what are your day-to-day -day responsibilities uh, as, a, as a sporting director? You know, I think that it's quite a new quite new in Sweden also it's like it's only maybe 10 15 years or maybe 15 years old the sporting director role in Sweden um, and I think it came out of that the manager or the coach we, we didn't have managers here we had coaches but they ran it like managers they they brought in the players they did everything around which player is going to play here, how we're going to play the game and so on. And I think the clubs were a bit frustrated about this because suddenly whenever you were lost in the league and you sacked the coach and there's a new coach coming in and he's going to bring in his, his players and then they're going to change the way of playing again. So when we, when we changed the club, uh, when we went up the last time, like 2009 then, when I was the coach, the idea was to never let the coach get the grip, total grip of the club anymore. Yeah. More of that, that uh, the club will run uh, the idea how, how we would play. Sure. Uh, we need to play, like Mikko Hecken for instance, we need to play attractive football. <laughs> it wasn't so attractive yesterday, <laughs> but we need to play attractive football to create a bigger crowd come and watch us. Exactly. And we have scored lots and lots of goals in the last 10 years. We've played fantastic football, uh, been up there many years, in a, in a, quite high in the league, um, to create more. And that's, that's Beko Hecken that has set the idea that we, we need to play an offensive, offensive kind of football. Uh, we also took away... Uh, 
the responsibility for the for to buying players from from the coach. I don't buy a player if the coach don't want him, but we buy him to a system that is Beckerheckens. You know, we need players that can make the difference. We are, of course we need defense players, and you know, but we we, we want to have players that make the difference. And, and in a discussion with the coach, uh, the club always have the last word. Yeah. So you were mainly kind of involved with, with the transfers yeah. and then you kind of suggest them to the manager or, or yeah. the other way around? Yeah. yeah, he can suggest to me also, yeah. but the club is still, um, what do you say, the club always have the last word. Yeah, sure. So that's what I do really. I, I take the board's responsibility down to me and, and run the club's ideas through the coach. Right. So when we bring in a coach, we tell him that this is what we want from you. Are you willing to go that way? And we don't, we don't change his. He still has his what do you say artistic uh, freedom with the team. So I don't go down there and say he's going to play and he's going to play. And he's going to play. But but uh, if if he leave leaves us like. Mickey Storm has has uh, at the moment so as a coach. He has three years on a contract, and after these three years, and he leaves us, we are still running the business. We don't lose the speed or the continu continu what say continu continuity yeah, continuity uh, of the club. Mm. And I think that's the important thing with how we work. But if you go, if you compare to England, you see all. Many managers sit there for a long, long, long time, so they are almost like sport directors anyway, like Wenger and Ferguson. And it's only the clubs that don't really have a success that sacks yeah. people all the time, and they shouldn't have managers. They should have a sport director. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the the way it's going now because we, there's more sacking, so you get now you need a sporting director. I think in the Premier League, so people are kind of talking about it a lot. I mean. Yeah, otherwise they work so short time with the team. They work, they work, they work for their own, their own best with the team they get at the moment. So it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's really important to, but I can understand that it's, it's, it's not so easy to change no. traditions. No, I mean, I think in England the main problem is, the, or the perception of the problem is the kind of, um, the ego thing maybe, so the manager kind of being not allowed to maybe buy certain players that he might want and that some managers in England maybe find that unacceptable. Um, have you ever had any conflict with managers about wanting to buy a player? Is there any ever conflicts in that yeah. sense? And how are they resolved? Of course. The, the old coach, he was here for eight years, Peter Allison. His, we, of course, we had conflicts about players. He was more offensive than I really was as a, as a representative of the club. Yeah. So I wanted to buy, buy more <laughs> defense players into the team so we shouldn't let so many goals into our own goal. We scored a lot of goals, but we, we really, really were bad sometimes in the... Yeah, I think we, we scored most goals many of the seasons in Allsvenskan, but we also let in like we were in the bottom of the league, but we were never in, in the bottom of the league. So we had big discussions about bad football players, <laughs> but good defense players. Yeah. So, of course, we have discussions about that, the conflicts about that. Um, how is the scouting handled under a sporting director model? I mean, do you have a team of scouts that you kind of send out to watch, or yeah. how is that the scouting side of things handled when you're trying to identify players? I think it's very different in different clubs, but we have... A, a scouting team that scouts our neighborhood okay. and our neighborhood is I would say one hour from here mm. and around here because we think the idea to bring players yeah, closer to home maybe makes more people come and watch us sure. um, but it has changed along the way because as we were not as big as club as we are today, ten years ago, we had more. We tried to have more foreign players before, because the Swedish good players they didn't really want to play with us. They wanted to play in the bigger clubs, so we we needed to bring in foreign players to take those positions of the Swedish players, and and so we did with different. Uh, we had the Brazilian cooperation with Cruzeiro for a while. We 
I had a Ghana cooperation with Right to Dream for a while, Manchester City's club in, in Ghana. Um, but it, it has changed along the way. So now we have less and less foreign players because we can get better Swedish or better, better Scandinavian players and that are easier for us to, to take care of. Sure. Um, so our scouting starts in our own academy from the beginning because we have a good academy. And whatever we can bring up there is most—that's the most important. And then we maybe take one or two players from the scouting network close to close to home, close to Gothenburg. Every year we maybe take two players from first division or second division in in Gothenburg. And then we also try and take players from Allsvenskan teams that are maybe not as big as we are. You know, if you like a player in OFC, for instance, or or uh, like Otida Bay when they went out, we took Jonoveri, won the Swedish yeah. scoring league, and we took Mamirabu Bakari. Yeah. From last year, we took Crespo from uh, Örebro. Yeah. So now we don't even bring the foreign players from, from yeah. other countries. We bring them from Sweden yeah. instead because they're already here. Yeah play for another club so things have changed along the way but the scouting is, is more in Sweden these days than it was when we started this 10 years ago I, I think I spent two months a year in, in Brazil from sure. the beginning we had five and we have had seven Brazilians in the team 2009 I think now we have one yeah Pauline. yeah I mean, he's back. He, he was. Yeah, exactly. Was, yeah, yeah. I mean, ha- what would you say are the signings you've been most happy with in your in your time at the club? Maybe the fondest memories uh, for player, or you know, maybe from the academy. But what signings would you say were sticking your mind as for the Hecken fans? The most fun signing was uh, Lugano, yeah. Diego Lugano, because he's a legend, really. Uguay, yeah. he, he still plays in his place in Sao Paulo at the moment in Brazil, yeah. and was quite curious about why he came here but he had a big injury yeah. he wanted to recover from it and he wanted some time in a smaller club for him to to get back to in shape yeah. so yeah suddenly he was here so <laughs> it was really strange <laughs> because it's uh, you know played 100 games as captain for the Uruguay team yeah. World Cup three times or four times so so it was, <laughs> that was quite fun. And then, then we found Boris Maid, who, who won the Swedish Scoring League in uh, 2012, I think, when we came second. We found him on, on our backyard here, played a tournament with the English school team. Yeah, um, I think I know him in England, yeah, Harpery. Yeah, Harpery yeah, yeah. Academy, yeah. College. Yeah, okay. Yeah, college, yeah. <laughs> and he played with them here. We saw him score a lot of goals against the Gothenburg team, and one of my scouts called me and said, yeah, "This guy here scoring a lot of goals in in the English school team." The next game, I saw him and I asked the coach there who he was, and he was from Right to Dream. Uh, maybe not good enough in football, but smart enough to go to school instead. Okay, but he was good enough in football for us. So. Now he plays in still in Lorient, I think. Yeah, in France. Was close to go to England. There were a couple of clubs interested, yeah. but they didn't happen. They wanted too much money for yeah. him. It's still a possibility. I think he's um, he's quite highly highly rated. But uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't I haven't really seen uh, if he's going on scoring goals because they went down in Lorient into yeah, yeah. the second division in France, and I think he will lose the lose the what do you say? Qualities along if he doesn't play higher up, yeah. qualities not maybe qualities, but he lose lose the momentum. Yeah. I mean, the Gothia Park Academy, uh, you know, it's a fantastic facility. You know, we're here now and looking around, and, and the Gothia Cup as well. The affiliation um, yeah. Yeah. must help in terms of there's so many foreign teams coming to play mm. in in such a big youth tournament. Um, they're big strings to Bickle Hacken's you know um, setup. Has that helped in attracting players? Do you think and you know, the Gothi Park Academy especially is really nice. Yeah, the academy has changed uh, the view of the club, yeah. really. Uh, but the academy, uh, the Gothi Cup, uh, which is the world's biggest tournament, football tournament, youth football tournament, 
we we don't have an we don't like to scout that tournament. Okay. Yeah. I think we only have taken one player from that tournament in all the years. Wow. Because we don't want to be involved in that we have our own tournament yeah. and, and bring here players and then we scout and take players from it. So I think it's more other clubs that have taken players from <laughs> that tournament than we have. Because it's an idea we have that don't do that. But in Warriors' case, it was it was more natural because he, he didn't even play for a team. Yeah. So that was it's an easier to do that. I also remember that I think the Liberians that we had for a while, they stayed on because they couldn't go home because they had a civil war. When they played here, the civil war started in Liberia, so they couldn't go back. So the whole team were here for six months, I think. But they didn't play for us. They played for another club here in Sweden who took care of them. And they stayed on, and a couple of them were really good, so we took them from the other club. So it was... uh, Three librarians that stayed on and played for us. Dule Johnson was one of them. Yeah, Dule yeah. Johnson, Ian Williams, Jimmy Dixon. Yeah. I mean, Leah, a final couple of questions, obviously. I really yeah. appreciate your time as well for talking to us. I mean, um, Beko Hakan has, a, like I say, a really good reputation for the in terms of the academy. Um, tell us a bit more about the academy structure, because you have a lot of players coming through from there. Um, Daleho is you know, one who we've talked about on the podcast as a really upcoming talent. Um, in England, the academy system is a bit under debate because we find it hard to maybe develop players between sort of 17 to 21 to get them into the first team mm-hmm. of the Premier League because the level is such a big jump. Um, so tell us about the academy structure here and you know, for Beko Hakan and how much of an emphasis is on that. Yeah. I understand the problem in in Premier League because the quality is too is too big. The, the quality is fantastic in the Premier League, so of course it's almost impossible to to bring up your academy players in that uh, environment. We have a better environment for our our academy because we need to trust in our own academy with a couple of players every year. Yeah. If we don't do that we will be in problems. And we will have to start a new idea about how to run the club. But if you can see every year that we let players go that maybe compete with one of our academy players. We don't try to bring in what is that, established players in the way of our academy players. And I think that's the way to run it. Because if we start to do that, we will not get players... For all, all the players in our academy, it's not from the club from the beginning. They come along the way. So when they're 15 and you're a good player in Gothenburg, you say, I can go to Beko Hecken because they let players up yeah. in the first team. Or when you're 16, the same thing. You're 17, the same thing. We can see that players from smaller clubs around us, but Really, really good players. They take the way through us because we. That's the way we work with the youth players, with the academy players. You can, if you, if you're an intelligent football analytic guy in in Gothenburg, you can see every year that we do stuff that they say, oh, they they let him this guy go, and sometimes that's because we have a youth player behind him. So that's uh, really a way of thinking. When Waris Maid got his shirt, we sold Ranegi to Malmö. Yeah. Ranegi was uh, won the scoring league the year before. We sold him to Malmö and everybody said, how can they sell him to Malmö? How can they sell him? Because he's a fantastic player. Yeah, we sold him to Malmö because Waris Maid was ready to take the step. And as, as long as Ranegi played, Waris didn't have any playing time. As soon as Warriors got his uh, playing time, he won the scoring league too. <laughs> then we had problems because then we didn't have the, the next guy. You need chances, basically. Yeah, yeah but it's, that's how we run the business, really. You know, Joel Andersson is fantastic right back, right? Right, yeah, back. right back, yeah. He's, he's 20 years old and this year we only had one. 
should I bring in one ahead of him or should I bring in one to compete with him or one that shouldn't take his position. So we both brought, took in one that competed with him, not to, to take him out. That helps the development. Yeah, and I think that's, that's necessary for us to do like this. Definitely. I mean, yeah, so the final question, I suppose, then, is who, who are the talents we should look out for in uh, Hecken Academy, maybe in the years to come, if the Nordic Football Podcast listeners want to know who, who's next, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a couple of players. Joel will be, Joel Andersson will be really good. The left back, Eggson Binako, will be really good. They are both... Exxon played the Under-21 Championship last year. Joel is in the Under-21 team now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dalla also is in the Under-21 team right now. There's another one coming. He was the captain for the 16-year-olds. Kevin Ackerman. Yeah. He's already in uh, the first team. So maybe to next year, maybe I will do something that makes him closer yeah. to, the, to the first eleven. He made his debut, I think, already. Like yeah, he made his debut. He made his debut. Yeah. He's number five in, in Sweden, yeah. all time, yeah. all time youth. And there's been rumours of Barcelona and teams like that. Is is that true? Or no, you're not, uh, not what I know. <laughs> Nobody have have said anything to me about that. So fair enough. We'll keep an eye out for them in the future. Yeah, <laughs> okay, well, uh, Sally Carson, it's fantastic to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time as well, and uh, appreciate it. And uh, thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, an absolutely fascinating interview there. Thanks very much uh, to Sonny for uh, giving it to us. And, uh, I mean, what for you personally is the main highlight coming from that interview, John? Well, the whole thing, really. Uh, to be honest, uh, I thought it was a thoroughly enjoyable interview meet. And uh, I found Sonny Carson to be a thoroughly entertaining guy, actually. He, um, we spoke off, off topic about a lot of the other things as well. It was a really interesting conversation in general, really, about life and, and, and stuff like that. And he... Um, you know, he's obviously played for the club and come through and been a coach and then the sporting director, he's implemented a clear philosophy at the club, which they've, they've carried through. And yeah, I found it really in- interesting. I mean, obviously going to watch the team train, <laughs> one of the things I found pretty uh, new to me was seeing uh, the team, after, uh, a football team basically the day after a 6-1 defeat. Uh, they were all joy and, you know, I was expecting it to be doom and gloom and you, you think sometimes when teams get battered, it's... Nobody leaves the house for a week or something like that. But no, t- 10 in the morning, pretty much as, as you were really, just playing, you know, kick, kick up, having a kick about and, uh, you know, doing the sort of coaching games where, you know, there's two men in a circle defending the ball um, whilst the others pass it, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, it was like it was a sunny day and it was like nothing had ever happened really. You wouldn't have thought it was a six on defeat, but, yeah, the facilities are incredible um, for Swedish football, I, th- I thought. Yeah, I think uh, the interesting thing, is uh, it's only a defeat, isn't it? At the end of the day, and when you're fourth in the table, it's not going to worry you as much as if you were down at the bottom of the table. Really, it's the same. I mean, I know goal difference is a thing, but it's the same as losing one nil in a way. So, fair play to them for for that sort of attitude, John. Yeah, and it's you know they they've built the club kind of in an organic way, and I think they're a lesson actually to a lot of other teams, really, uh, in, both in Sweden and outside Sweden, of how to sort of build a smaller club and. One of the other things I thought was really interesting was trying to find a sort of unique selling point for, you know, the fourth team in Gothenburg. Effectively, you know, how do you how do you build a team and, and sort of make yourself unique from from the rest and, and stay competitive? And obviously, they're they're aimed to target Hisingen, which is the, the you know district, um, and make themselves that kind of appeal to that crowd first. Uh, really stood out to me. I mean, as Sunny pointed out, and you know, Hisingen's population is a hundred thousand and. You know, teams like Kalmar with the population they've got have won the league. Other top clubs like Halmstad, you know, these teams don't necessarily need a huge population to, to be competitive. And, you know, it shows in the league table, as we've said, Oyes and guys have bigger traditional support, but they're in the second division. And the IFCO are having a pretty pretty bad season, all things told, at the moment. So, yeah, good luck to Hack and I, I thought it was a really good player. I mean, the academy's really good as well. Um, the, the facilities, like I said, it was a nice sunny day, so that really helped. I didn't have to take my jacket with me but um it was yeah really nice day actually all, all in all and um fantastic talking to sonny thanks thanks for it now let's move on to the match itself on the weekend uh it finished uh, hack and one aik six now 
heading into the affair, I think both teams were locked on the same number of points uh, with the, virtually the same record in the, in the, in the league, actually. Only uh, suffered five defeats each. I mean, it was all set for a really uh, sort of close fixture. Um, that's what I was expecting. Whenever I've seen AIK play this year, uh, matches have been tight, not a lot in, you know, between either team. They struggle to score goals. So for to end this outcome, I couldn't quite believe it. I must say, um, let's just start with the lineups, uh, formations, players. Both going with three at the back, John. Um, you want to read out the team sheet? Yes, yeah, so introducing the match analysis. Bicko uh, and one. AIK six, which seems incredible even saying it now, um, a day after the event. But yeah, the following lineups were presented. Uh, I went to get my my ticket pre-match and um, walked around the ground and posted mostly pictures on the, on our Twitter at Nordic Nordic Footpod, which you can still check out on some videos. Um, but the lineup was Abrahamson uh, for Hacken, uh, Ajalo, uh, Fatsetas, Lindgren, Abubakari, Freeberg. Joel Anderson, Exxon Binaku, Paulinho, Nasiru Mohamed, and Ahmed Yassin, the uh, All Spence Game Player of the Month, and our focus on uh, Pod 11. And for Oyekor, AIK, it was Linneringo, uh, Per Carlson, uh, Niels Eric Johansson, Jesper Nyerholm, Christopher Olsen, uh, Johan Blomberg, Rasmus Linkvist, Daniel Sundgren. Nico Stefanelli, Stefan Ishizaki, and Henrik Goiton. Those were the lineups. Yeah, and um, as I say, both going with three at the back, but in, in different styles, John. Um, what would you say was the biggest difference there? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the key points of the, of the match was the, the lineups. And LK really set up with a sort of 3 5 2, their traditional 3 5 2. So you had Carson, uh, Nyholm, and Johansson as the kind of centre backs. and Linkvist and Sundgren as the wing-backs, and then Olsen anchored the midfield, he dictated the play. Blomberg and Ishizaki were kind of the, uh, centrally, uh, with Stefanelli and Goitam as the two strikers. Hacken kind of had a different, slightly different approach, and they, the team sheet actually said they were in a 3-4-3, but uh, I didn't really agree with that. I think they were more of a sort of 4-3-3, really. But they had their um, defensive midfielder, Alexander Fadzetas, kind of dropping deeper uh, very often. Uh, he was a sort of number six, and he, he dropped often with the ball to make it a kind of a 5-2-3 almost at times, um, on and off the ball. So he was very keen to get it back and, and defend, but also take the ball in deeper positions and, and, and try and build from there. Um, and that, to me, was a sort of key key theme to that to that early part of the match. I mean, Hecken kind of struggled really with the... ARK seemed to have a much clearer kind of defined style of play. Um, that 3-5-2 is well established, and it's really... You know, we've spoken about this before, but the summer signings have really, just really strengthened that core of their, of their team. Um, they lacked kind of a, a left-sided player, which they've now gone and got in Linkfist, who was sensational. Uh, we'll talk about him in a bit, but um, Stefanelli as well up front, you know, we talked about how they lack goals, and he's come in now, he's a bit of a poacher, um, and he was good. So, yeah, it was really, I mean, it was a fascinating game, actually, from, from the off, really. But there wasn't even a goal till the 24th minute, would you believe? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about these first 25 minutes because, I mean, the, the opening goal actually came from a corner, didn't it? Um, it was uh, Carlson who uh, was left completely unmarked uh, coming in there at the, uh, the back post. I think he drifted from a deep position. But, I mean, it's, we've not actually talked about set pieces too much in any real match analysis, have we, John? But I think, really, we're going to have to start this way because I, I just felt it was building up to something in that, Hacken were really struggling to defend set pieces in that first 20 minutes. So, in a way, it wasn't really a surprise that the, a goal maybe originated from there, John, was it? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a huge surprise. I think, you know, mainly because Hacken kind of wore asleep a lot from, from crosses uh, at times. And um, ARK are quite a tall team in general. They've got a lot of sort of threat, aerial threats, really. Um, the centre backs, obviously, Sunkrin as well. Um, so they do have a lot of players they can kind of aim for. Goitam was a tall sort of fellow. So yeah, they do have a lot of aerial threats. It was a good corner. Yeah, Olsen, Christopher Olsen, I thought was really good on the day in midfield. He drifted it in and Carson uh, at the back post was there to head it home. Yeah, I mean, I say, I think the first goal, um, I say it was purely a set piece breakdown from, from Hacken's point of view there. But from that point onwards, it was the, I mean, 
the wing backs for AIK really came into the game big style before half time. Lindqvist had bagged the goal. Sundgren had bagged the goal. Lindqvist another assist for Stefanelli. I mean, tell us how this great wing back play set up AIK for the four-one half time lead. Yeah, well, I mean, the game burst into life towards half time, but before that, there was obviously the second goal. Um, the second goal, obviously, Hakanrush leap and Ishizaki drifted across it, and this is two minutes after the first goal. And um, Sungren, you know, from the back, exactly the same back post again, uh, two 0 And Binaku, Exxon Binaku, who um, you know we've spoken about in the in the interview there, uh, he was really, to be honest, he was asleep at the back, and I, I felt, and there was a bit of a mix-up between the kind of the that, that left-sided, you know, defender and maybe the centre backs, but. Whatever the problem was, you know, Sungren crept in and found himself pretty much, you know, free to, to head home. And that made it 2-0. Um, Touching your question, yeah, the wing-backs, I mean, that's, that was the theme of the whole match. I mean, Yeah, I, I just felt the goals in the first half were, were the, the origin was this great wing play, really. I just felt they had so much space on the ball. That there was no one picking them up at all in any sort of way. Um, Hacken just couldn't seem to deal with them in, in that regard. I mean, how on earth was this allowed to happen uh, from a Hacken point of view tactically were they just simply way off or was it players not fulfilling their duties yeah I mean the thing is that as soon as it was 1-0 Hacken Ursay it was it was maybe not even to start with but the first 25 minutes were relatively even but as soon as um as soon as Hacken took the lead uh, sorry as soon as AIK took the lead it was they were a class apart it was as if they just grew and grew in strength you know they grew 10 feet almost um from that first goal and they just took control of the match and it was really actually stunning football to watch. Uh, really impressive. You know, from the second goal, it was then three and it wasn't it? Stefanelli uh, with a really well taken goal in the 35th minute. And he looks like a real poacher, as I've mentioned. Uh, he had that kind of, a, he's got that Aguero type movement. Uh, Argentinian kind of, you know, he's short, short kind of stocky build, uh, low center of gravity. And he, he took control of the sort of forward areas in that, in that period before half time and looked a real threat. Goitem was weaving his, you know, diving and weaving. With a sort of languid style about him, um, yeah, it was it was thrilling football to be honest. It was absolutely thrilling. I mean that that sort of ten minutes between the thirty fifth minute and half time, you could you could do a whole match analysis alone on it. But yeah, three goals in three minutes they were, and the next thing you knew it was four one, losing track of it. Yeah, uh, Mohammed uh, pulled one back for Hacken, but right at the other end, Linkvist with a lovely finish. I've got to say, a fantastic finish into the uh, bottom right corner. I think it was on the half volley. Um, really, really enjoyed that strike. And 4-1 at half-time, it's effectively game over, really, isn't it? Um, you're not going to come back from 4-1 against AIK. Was that the general sense in the stadium around the, the, the half-time? Was there, was there shock? Yeah, it was, it was, I think the whole stadium was in shock, to be honest. The, um, <laughs> the, the three goals in quick succession, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, I've seen a lot of football in my time. I think I've attended, you know, hundreds of games in the last couple of years and uh, you know honestly it's one of the best games I've seen live in, in years uh, thrilling stuff and yeah as we said you know it's definitely got a third a third and I was already taking that in and thinking well you know great goal from AIK and they're playing such a nice football then Nasseru gave Hacken a bit of a lifeline the fans were up again you know cheering and they were happy and then the next thing you knew it was 4-1 um, it was Blomberg you know with a sort of cut back and you know a superbly taken left foot half volley from Linkvist. I mean, it was a sensation. I mean, Linkvist, honestly, I, I want to talk about this guy because he really excited me on the, on the day and the way he took his goal. Um, Blomberg was quite wayward, I thought, in the first half. His passing wasn't the best and he looked kind of lightweight. But that club, you know, the cutback for that goal was really good assist. And the way Linkvist took it, you know, that left foot kind of sweeping style, foot over the ball, just and arrowed it into the bottom corner of the net. And, you know, it was, you know, like I say, it was, it was incredible to watch him wins. Yeah, he um, was certainly one of the standout performers uh, in the game. Now, second half, unfortunately, I went AWOL for the second half. I, I left you to to this one, John. But, um, I mean, Hacken did try a few things to try and get back into the game tactically, didn't they? Uh, they, by all accounts, switched to an aggressive formation. But, uh, ultimately, ARK did add, add a couple of uh, more goals. Excellent goals, I must add. Two fantastic strikes. From a tactical point of view... Hacken did their best to try and get back into it, didn't they? Yeah, they did the best, but they they couldn't really get back into it. You know, as I say, they were they were they, on the day they were poor, and you know, Sonny Carson didn't want to talk about it, and I can't blame him. 
I mean, I don't want to reflect on the players in terms of them, themselves, but in, if we look at the individual day, they just were not at the races. You know, they were really poor. And I think, it, you know, I, I'm not, I wasn't actually sure what happened if uh, Nasiru Mohammed was injured. Uh, excuse, excuse me, I'm not, I wasn't sure if Abu Bakari was injured because he went off uh, before half-time and uh, Matthias Ranigi came on. And I'm not sure really why because, you know, I think it even unbalanced the team even more. And then what you had was almost like a 4-2-4 four, four, four kind of situation where Ranagi was charging forward himself and then you obviously had Nasiru and Yassin and Paulinho as well. So it was kind of Ranagi there. So really they kind of left Freiburg and, uh, and Farsetta sort of alone. And, and their play just became really, really stretched. Um, and what the problem was tactically was that Yassin and Nasiru don't really track back. And I'm not sure if the manager had identified that, ARK's manager, Ricard Norlin. He maybe had sort of identified that because Yassin and, like I say, Nasser didn't track back really at all on the fullbacks. And that just gave Linkfist and Sundgren, especially in the second half, the freedom of the city, basically. Um, they had license to get up and down. There was one run in particular before, uh, shortly before um, Sundgren's goal, actually, his second goal. We were early in the second half. He was miles in space. Um, and he was charging down the right wing, you know, the right-hand side as a fullback as he does. And Ahmed Yassin hadn't even seen him. I mean, he was literally not even walking. He eventually saw him, and he didn't even jog to close him down. You know, so Sungren, even though he'd seen, even though Yassin had seen him, he wasn't even actually running to get get back to him. And I think maybe Ayak had identified that kind of weakness of, of the forwards of Hakim, and really exploited it in phenomenal phenomenal style. And that culminated in Sungren's second goal, which was a fantastic hit from the right hand side. Uh, and he was, by the way, a really, really good performance for him as well. He was really impressive. In terms of, let's talk about the coaches now. Was it simply a case of Ricard Norling just had a fantastic day tactically and uh, Mikel Stara uh, had a shocker? Or was the hacking coach let down by his players? Yeah, well, I thought it was, a, like I say, I thought it was a bizarre decision by Mikel Stara to um, take off a Bubakari. Uh, he wasn't playing well. and. What you could see was that when the third goal went in, um, it was probably off camera, but when the third goal went in, uh, Mikhail Stara, and I want to talk a bit about their, their different styles on the touchline, actually, because Mikhail Stara was a bundle of energy, you know, up and down, shouting, hollering, kind of just nervous tension, you know, swatting his arms in the air and that kind of thing. Whereas Rickard Norling had kind of a double-breasted uh, sort of tweed style, not, not, not tweed, but it was like a double-breasted kind of Japanese-style jacket with, you know, Sort of, you know, he's got a bit of a dress sense about him, that's for sure. Um, he was ni nicely sort of dulled to the nines, and he just looked very calm, stood on the touchline, and walked, you know, kind of ambled about, and didn't really seem that bothered. But when the third goal went in, Mikhail Stara launched his water bottle on the, uh, towards the sort of um, uh, media area, you know, just lobbed it kind of towards the bench, basically, uh, in fury. And you could see he was going to take somebody off, but you know, he wanted to make a change basically before half time as an impact side. But I don't know if it was because of an injury or not. But taking off his, the defensive midfielder just seems strange to me. Um, Yassine, Paulino, and um, you know the forwards have been really poor. I felt they've done nothing, and it wouldn't have surprised me if he'd taken one of those guys off. Um, but to to take off your defensive midfielder, I thought was a bit of a mistake. And like I say, um, it led to an even more open kind of second half, and and, and it just destabilised them further. I thought. Who was the worst player for Hacking? The worst player. Well, that put me on a bit of a spot there. I mean, they were all. Take your pick, to be honest, mate. Um, who do you want to? Who do you want to pick? It sounds like they all had an absolute terrible game, really. One of those things. I mean, from AIK's point of view, it's a bit obvious that Sundgren and Linkovic are going to take the limelight for their performances. But was there any sort of unsung hero, maybe in the midfield, who deserves a bit of recognition in this game? Yeah, I think we should give some special credit to Christopher Olsen. Uh, I thought he was really good. Um, I thought he, you know he dictated the play in the central midfield. I think one of the important things in a 3-5-2 is that you need a central midfielder who can kind of uh, take the ball uh, from the centre-backs and sort of turn, has the awareness to turn, um, vision to be able to sort of lay off passes and basically be the playmaker in there. Because you can't have a number 10, really. You, you, can't, you sort of can, but you know, your two forwards, are, maybe one of them could be a number 10, but they won't see the ball as much. Um, your de defensive midfielder in that lineup is going to see the ball a lot. Olsen did, did really good work with it. Um, he obviously was the one spraying it out wide and to, to the both the sort of wing backs. Ishizaki as well did that, but 
I thought Olsen maybe stood out, but in that sense. But I'd also like to talk about Stefanelli because I really think this player is going to be a good player. Um, he took his goal really well. I, I thought it was another sort of thrilling goal to be in the stands to watch. Uh, the whole game, honestly, was it was a really great game. I had a real good feeling when I left the stadium, to be honest. Um, and Sonny Carlson mentioned it in his interview. You know, they, there's an emphasis on you know attacking and kind of entertaining football at, at, at Big Hacken. And although it was uh, it went against it this time, it just felt like a really feel good game to be to be live and, and sort of watch. But yeah, the other person maybe I pick out is Stefanelli there. So I'd say Stefanelli and um, and also stood out part. But Linkfist and uh, Sunga were the clear clear men of the match. Now, the last time that we talked about AAK in depth on this podcast, uh, it was more about they can't score goals. And heading into this game, they'd only netted 30 times, which was the lowest number out of anyone in the top uh, 11 places. Is the difference simply now the players they've added since we last talked about them? Yeah, it's a fairly good point, Steve, actually. Um, oh, I'm just watching Linkford's goal again. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, what a game. I'm still getting over it, to be honest. But yeah, no. Um, what was the question again? Yeah, I mean the AIK offensive problems that they had earlier in the season is that kind of now fixed now and going forward at the end of the season, the last five oh, games, yeah. can they really push on? Yeah, that's done. That's done, mate. I mean, uh, yeah, you can see how you can see how much I enjoyed the game. I'm forgetting all your questions and kind of just still buzzing, really. Um, but yeah, no. I think that you know, like you said, AIK. I think they deserve a lot of praise. And you know, we did that transfer pod um, during the window. Uh, I gave AIK an A grade, I think, and I'd like to sort of uh, emphasize that to maybe an A plus grade now, because what they've done is they've, they've clearly identified their weak areas and actually actively taken steps to improve them. And, you know, it's paid off. I mean, Linkfist, you we talked about him coming from Norway. This guy is sensational. I mean, the, the way he's playing, the two games I've seen him play live, um, he's been nothing short, short of spectacular. As I say, and it's sick, the sixth goal was just a thing of beauty. Everyone in the stands was gasping uh, around me. Um, he was bought, bought in, obviously, and he's just added cut and thrust to that left side. He's pacey. He's, he's got real pace about him. He doesn't look like it, but he's got real pace. Um, bombs up and down. Uh, and, yeah, as we say, Stefanelli, you know, they've brought, in a few, they've brought in a few others as well. But, you know, for me, those two have been the key guys. Um, others have improved. And in the ones they've got rid of, I don't think they miss them, really. So... Uh, you know, like sort of Sully Vise and then obviously gone to Italy, but I don't think they necessarily miss him massively. Some so, really good transfer business from uh, AIK, and obviously Ronnie Dyler probably wouldn't agree with um, your analysis of Linkrist there, otherwise, he might have uh, tried to keep hold of him a little bit more. I mean, really, Dyler wanted him out the door at Valerena, so uh, yeah. And uh, just to very briefly say, uh, you know, one of the main criticisms, obviously, of, of late has been the fact that they let Ahmed Yassin go out alone to Hacken. But he was anonymous yesterday. He really was. And if that was his opportunity to sort of stake his claim to come back to AIK next season, he really didn't do himself many favours, to be honest. He was, you know, fairly poor. Although at training today, he seemed like he'd maybe a bit injured. He, he, he sat out of training, was warming up by the side. So maybe he was injured. Yeah, I think before we end the podcast, we're going to talk about Hacken in a more positive light. They've just had a really poor week losing to North Shipping, losing to uh, AIK. But before that, they've been absolutely brilliant, haven't they? Uh, I mean, what a great season. Fourth place, they're going to be the top Gothenburg team in all likelihood. And um, great achievement from them. Can they recover and finish the season strongly? Yeah, you bang on there, Steve. You know, there's, um, any, I, think, I think any year they finish above IFK is a, is a successful year for Beko Hacken, really. You've got to look at it from that point of view. Um, the two stadiums are worlds apart in terms of their sort of size, the clubs are, you know, historically uh, at complete opposite, opposing ends, really, of the scale. Um, EFC are a real giant and Hecken are kind of the cocky upstart. And, you know, like, you know, to be honest, I do, I do sort of have a little bit of a, I do, I've, I've taken a bit of a liking to Hecken because of the way they are. I like that kind of cocky upstart, but I like that rebellious side of them. Um, I like their yellow and black kit, you know. I just think, they, you know, they're, they're, they're the kind of rebels of Gothenburg at the moment, um, taking it to the rest of the the teams and um, good luck to them really you know if they finish top four it's a successful season as far as I'm concerned for them I, th I don't think they can you know with the budget really be you know knocked for that you know Hammerby have got a budget maybe two to three times bigger than them at least you know with, their, with the size of the club they are and they're, they're you know way below them so 
you know, fair play to Hecken. And as I say, it was a, maybe I'm still high on the fact that I was there and it was a really great place to be. But And it was actually sunshine in Gothenburg for change. But yeah, it was a really, um, I felt like it's a club going places, to be honest. Yeah, shame about the result and shame we have to had to analyse them in a little bit of a negative light there. But well done on a great season so far for Hecken. And, and uh, thanks very much for your analysis there, John. Um, great that you can uh, you can get out there in Sweden and uh, seeing stuff close up is such a massive advantage. Uh, thanks very much to Sunny for the uh, interview there. Yeah, no Norway in this podcast. We thought it's just going to be a Swedish special. Hopefully, maybe back uh, later in the week with some more Norway stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, once again, thanks very much for your uh, thoughts uh, out there live in Sweden, John. Thank you very much, mate. Okay, well, we look forward to uh, you all listening to uh, the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, but from this edition, I'll say goodbye and take care, everyone.